Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Oh, oh. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Well, it was an interesting game. It wasn't a great game, but it was hard to look away. Compelling basketball game last night for those of you waking up, maybe starting your Memorial Day weekend a little bit early. If you're in your car driving somewhere across the country, be safe. I hope you guys have a spectacular long weekend. And I bet... Part of it will be filled with basketball because tonight, game six, the Cavs need to extend to force a game seven and come tomorrow will be game six in the Warriors and the Rockets series where I'll be surprised. I'll admit to you that I am surprised the Rockets held off a Warriors team that made a series of not very impressive uh, possessions down the stretch. And if you have been longing for 1990s era basketball, when you had all the ISO plays, when you had all the back down plays, when you hear like old school NBA fan talk about the physicality, the ugliness, the nastiness of that game at that point in time, you got it last night. Because over and over again, we saw ISO plays. I don't know why the Warriors couldn't get the ball out of Chris Paul's hand against David West, for instance. Four straight times, he went one-on-one. I thought David West actually defended pretty well, but nobody could really stop Chris Paul until Chris Paul stopped himself with what may be an unfortunate injury that could end up derailing him for the remainder of this series. If you pay attention to odds, the odds markets have moved in a big way toward the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors now an 11-point favorite on uh, Saturday night in Oracle, and obviously they're a very good team at home regardless 
but an 11 point favorite is a massive home favorite in a uh, in a competitive playoff series so I think that is a pretty good sign that this Chris Paul injury could be very significant and in particular and I hate to say it but to me it's the biggest story coming out of this uh, Brandon Wright who joins us a lot NBA veteran uh, said that looks like he said he texted me during the game uh, he's on his way out to Las Vegas for a bachelor party he'd be on to talk with us early this morning uh, he said looks like Chris Paul is hurt for real if it's a strain he's done and he said uh, as a guy who's played in the NBA for a long time he said I noticed there was not stretching or foam rolling on the sideline uh, going on to try to rehabilitate Chris Paul he said uh, that probably means he felt a pop most likely a strain uh, and if it's a strain and the hamstring if you've ever had a hamstring injury out there if anybody's ever pulled it it's really difficult to come back from, particularly in anything where you're trying to do an explosive movement because you just don't trust yourself because at any moment you can get a further injury. Uh, but we've got a lot to talk about from this uh, from this game last night. What does it mean going forward for the NBA? Uh, a ton to dive into, but I want to hit some audio with you here uh, because many of you are probably like me. And as soon as that game ended, you turned it off and you haven't necessarily been able to keep up with what was said in the post game. So uh, Steve Kerr was talked about uh, the final play of the game and Draymond basically fumbling the football. I mean, he looked like a wide receiver on that pass who was not expecting to receive the pass and as a result just fumbled it or was already looking like he was trying to make a move to get towards the basket and was trying to look ahead and he forgot to just make the catch. Here's Steve Kerr explaining the last play of the game. I think Clay may have been in the far right corner, so we had the floor spread. I, th- I thought Draymond just rushed it a little bit and fumbled it, um, but it, you know, it was the play was unfolding nicely. It just didn't turn out, obviously. Uh, Draymond Green uh, was asked about the Chris Paul injury, which obviously unfortunately for the Rockets, could end up deciding this series. Again, the Warriors an 11-point favorite in Game 6. That suggests most are not anticipating Chris Paul playing, given how poorly James Harden is playing right now. I think he's missed either 18 or 19 consecutive three-point shots, which is almost impossible to pull off. Granted, he got to the free-throw line and he made some plays there, but I believe he was 5-for-21 from the field and the ghost of the awful Game 6 performance that he put forward with the Oklahoma City Thunder when they had a chance to eliminate the same Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago hangs over his head. And uh, I'm not that confident that James Harden could lead this team. I thought Chris Paul was phenomenal down the stretch. Here is what uh, Draymond Green said about the Chris Paul injury. We got to prepare like he's going to play. You know, he's a great player. Um right in the middle of everything they do. We're not going to come out and, you know, go back home and say, oh, man, Chris Paul ain't playing. Like, that's that's their focus and not ours. Ours is to prepare as if he's playing. And if he's not, then, you know, we got to make an adjustment. But I'd rather adjust to him not playing uh, as opposed to trying to adjust to him playing. That's uh, Draymond Green talking about the injury to Chris Paul and how serious he is going to, in fact, end up being injured. Could it cause him to miss game six and maybe game seven and or not be able to play at a very high level? Uh, Finally, uh, on our audio clips here, if you were watching the game, uh, we had some incredible shots that Chris Paul hit. 
One of them was on uh, Steph Curry, and other one, a couple of them were on David West. But after he drained a three under perfect defense from Steph Curry, he did a uh, a pretty phenomenal uh, replica of the uh, Curry game three celebration and a little shoulder shuffle. And here was Steph Curry. It was so good, even Steph Curry laughed during the game. Here was Steph Curry on that play. Uh, it was well-deserved. It's a tough shot. If you can shimmy on somebody else, you got to be all right getting shimmied on. So I'll keep shimmying, and maybe he will too. So we'll see what happens. That was pretty great, um, and uh, and credit to Steph Curry for taking that in stride. So, where do we find ourselves in this uh, in this series right now? A couple of things: the Warriors in Game Four and in Game Five now had the chances to win this game. In particular, after Chris Paul gets injured and is not able to run back down the court, the Warriors have a five on four. And the five people that they have on the floor at this time, I believe I'm correct in this. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. They've got Draymond Green, pretty good player. Klay Thompson, pretty good player. Steph Curry, pretty good player. And Kevin Durant, pretty good player. That's four guys that I believe one day are going to be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, you can argue with me. You can dispute that. But I think all four of those players, certainly Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are first ballot NBA Hall of Famers. I think Klay Thompson and Draymond Green have shown enough to suggest that they have very good chances of being Hall of Famers one day. So you have four Hall of Famers in my mind on the court. And then I believe I we, we have Quinn Cook on the court, if I'm not mistaken. Who? So you got four, who, who was on the court? Who was the who? fifth guy? Quinn Cook, right? I think the vast majority of people out there right now are reacting just like Danny G did. <laughs> Who? Yeah, I mean, I know it because I watched the game, but you're right. For a casual NBA fan, they've never heard of this guy. So if you and, – and that leads to this question, which I think is a, uh, is a tough one, but I think it's an honest one. Even when Quinn Cook is wide open from three, do you want Quinn Cook taking that shot when you've got four Hall of Famers on the court, I know that he's on the court for a reason, and this obviously is because of the Andre Iguodala injury, and I think that that has been relatively impactful, particularly on the defensive end, where it has created a lot of mismatch opportunities that the Rockets have exploited, because Iguodala is a great defender, and he can switch on all those pick-and-roll plays where you have to switch defensive players without finding a guy who is then mismatched. So I think that is um, that is the biggest uh, hindrance that has impacted the overall game is just the Rockets don't have that fifth defensive player who also has some offensive juice, but Quinn Cook is on the court. Do you really want Quinn Cook taking that three-pointer even if he's wide open because Chris Paul is still down there? And look, I don't blame the Rockets. If I'm the Rockets and I've got that situation... It's a five on four. We're up one point. Our leader has just injured himself and is not able to get back down the court. And I think that's why the other reason this injury is very severe. You can criticize Chris Paul for a lot over the course of his career. The guy's a gamer. He plays his ass off. You watch that game. He was effectively the coach on the floor. So I don't buy into the idea that he pulled himself out of the game and he didn't get back down the court because he was being dramatic and felt like he was fouled or anything like that. 
But do you really leave uh, that as your go-to shot? If you're the Rockets and you're one man down, you got to be thinking your lucky stars that it's Quinn Cook there pulling the trigger to try to win the game from three. I personally think you probably, if you're Quinn Cook, have to put the ball on the floor. Maybe you got to be just like, you know what? I'm wide open. I have to shoot. But personally, I'd rather have any of the four other guys taking a contested three than I would Quinn Cook a wide open three. And given the fact that you're only down one and you have a one-man advantage on the court at that time, isn't the play to go to the basket and try to, the way they're calling that game, try to draw a foul or at least get somebody else wide open for a look that might one day play in the Hall of Fame as opposed to Quinn Cook? I think there are a lot of moments down the stretch there. A lot of people are going to focus on the Draymond Green fumbled pass after, by the way, and this was significant, the Warriors had to inbound the ball on the baseline because they took their time out after they had thrown a pass. That was a significant error too. Because if you're inbounding at midcourt with six point something seconds left, you don't have that frenzied let's get down the court philosophy in mind and you're better able to get something going to the basket without having to push anything. But I thought that Draymond Green fumbled pass was a significant play. But to me, it just further reiterated, man, the Warriors had a chance to have ended this series. They very easily could have finished this in five. Instead, they're now down 3-2. And much like in 2016, they're going to have to win a game on the road to extend this series in advance to the NBA Finals. It's crunch time for the Warriors. I think they win game six. I think they come back down to Houston for game seven, and we'll have to see between now and then what the status of Chris Paul's hamstring is. I don't anticipate that we'll get much information because I think the Rockets will try to keep that info close to the vest. Part of me thinks, do you even want to get him on the plane? I think that injury that he's got is severe enough for game six. Maybe you believe having him on the bench and having him in practice and having him on the plane and everything else is the most impactful possible. But wouldn't it likely be better for a strained hamstring to not get on a cross-country flight from Houston to uh, the, the Bay Area and walk on it and everything else? Personally, I'd get him in a hyperbaric chamber or whatever you have to do and keep him there for like the next four days and see if he could be ready to go in Game 7. I don't think there's any way he plays on Saturday night in Game 6. We'll see. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Yesterday and uh, all throughout the day, ever since the NFL made their decision about what the anthem policy should be, everybody's been weighing in. And in particular, I think there has been a total failure by the media to contextualize and give you information that's useful. And I think the sports media very often has this happen where there's nobody out there who really is using facts to make legitimately strong and logical arguments. And let me tell you this. Uh, Right before game five, Steve Kerr decided that he needed to weigh in on the NFL's anthem policy, and he had this to say. They're just playing to their fan base, and they're just uh, basically trying to use the anthem as uh, fake patriotism, nationalism, uh, scaring people. It's idiotic, but that's how the NFL has handled their business. All right, so Steve Kerr taking a shot at the NFL over the anthem. Now, 
I hear very few people who have an issue with the anthem in the NFL discussing the anthem in the NBA at all. The NBA's policy is actually more draconian than the NBA, than the NFL's policy. And let me go ahead and run through this, and then I want to tell you why that rule exists. The NBA has an official rule. Players, coaches, and trainers are to stand and line up in a dignified posture along the sidelines or on the foul line during the playing of the national anthem. Back in 1996, the NBA had their own anthem controversy after Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who many of you will remember as Chris Jackson when he was at LSU, made the decision to refuse to stand for the Star Spangled Banner before games. He said the flag was a symbol of oppression and that the United States had a long history of tyranny. On March 12th, 1996, the NBA suspended Abdul Raouf for his refusal to stand, costing him nearly $32,000 per missed game. Two days later, he worked out a compromise because he was indefinitely suspended and not allowed to play the game because he refused to stand for the national anthem, agreeing that he would stand during the playing of the national anthem, but he could close his eyes and look downward. He usually silently recited Islamic prayer during this time, uh, and uh, he did that as a way to draw attention to all those suffering from all walks of life and ethnic backgrounds. He was later effectively cashiered and forced out of the league, even though he had enough talent overall to stay in the league. Now, I know that in this modern era of Twitter social activism, where all these people are twoke all the time, running around Twitter woke, nobody has any actual historical context on which to base their opinions. But the NBA had their own Colin Kaepernick controversy in 1996, and they specifically, specifically made the decision to be even more aggressive than the NFL had and forced Chris Jackson, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf to stand for the anthem. Otherwise, they were not going to allow him to play. They suspended and fined him in 1996. And since then, every NBA player has stood for the national anthem. So if you are mad at the NFL, shouldn't you be even madder at the NBA? Yet all I hear is people out on these Twitter streets and people out there with their opinions and everything else focusing on the NBA uh, being a great place and the NFL being an awful place. NFL players actually have more freedom of expression than NBA players do when it comes to the national anthem. If you want to protest the national anthem, you don't have to come out and stand for the playing of the national anthem in the NBA, you have to stand. And hardly anyone, I bet, has discussed this or you've heard it analyzed anywhere in the country because everybody is focusing on the NFL anthem policy and nobody is focusing on the NBA one. The truth of the matter is this. The reason why the NBA wants players to stand for the national anthem and has a rule requiring them to do so is because it's good for the business of the NBA. And the reason why NFL fans want, by and large, for NFL players to stand is because 
they believe that players should stand for the national anthem. The reason why the NFL wants it to happen is because it's good for their business too. Same reason it is for the NBA. And if you remember, Adam Silver came out before the this, this season started and said all the players were going to stand. It is, I think, a uh, a flagrant, flagrantly dishonest perspective to argue that the NFL is somehow worse than the NBA when it comes to this anthem debate. And by the way, the mere fact that Steve Kerr is weighing in on the NFL's anthem policy before the start of Game 5, a massively significant game for his team, is, I think, a little bit wacky. Can you imagine Bill Belichick before the Super Bowl weighing in on what the NBA's anthem policy is? Can you imagine if he got asked that in his pregame media availability? Bill Belichick, what do you think about the NBA's anthem policy? He'd be like, get the F out of here. I'm not I don't on care Snapface about the NBA. Yeah, I'm not there on you go. He's not on Snapface. Not on Snapface, so he wouldn't know what was going on on a day-to-day basis, maybe on social media. But there's no way that an NBA NFL play uh, coach before a big game would weigh in on NBA decisions. And by the way, this goes to a larger context. The NBA is at best one-tenth as popular as the NFL. So far this year, no NBA game, including all their playoff games, has outrated a Monday night football or Thursday night football regular season game. No NBA playoff game has outrated the NFL's Pro Bowl, which gets universally ridiculed and everybody says, man, why does this even exist? The Pro Bowl has had more viewers than every NBA playoff game so far. And as if that were not enough, ridiculously enough, the NFL draft has outrated every single NBA playoff game so far. That's a pretty uh, substantial statement being made about what this country cares about. Now, the NFL ratings have dropped 20% in the past two years. And on this show, I have been one of the few people in media who said, hey, I think the reason why this is happening is because many fans are disgusted with the politicization of football. And so what the NFL is trying to do here is put the focus back onto the field. Now, my biggest issue with the NFL is they should have immediately fined Colin Kaepernick and threatened him with suspension for not standing for the national anthem the moment that he did it. The NFL hoped this story would disappear. But I do think it's insanely instructive to contemplate Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf in 1996 doing almost the identical thing that Colin Kaepernick did and how the NBA responded was the exact same as how the NFL has responded except much more aggressive in demanding that he stand for the national anthem. The NBA suspended him indefinitely and docked him $32,000. They were not going to allow him to continue to play. Have you heard that discussed anywhere else? And does it surprise you a little bit? I'll bring in the crew. I'll also open up the phone lines, 877-996-6369. Twitter and social media in particular has a habit in this day and age of creating heroes and villains. There's very little nuance that is ever contemplated in our country today. Everything because of social media, which I'm increasingly believing is an overall negative impact on our country's national discourse is either the greatest or the worst that has ever happened. And people have a Disney-like and childlike breakdown of complicated issues. 
The NBA is good. Adam Silver is great. Roger Goodell is awful. And the NFL is a disaster. There's no ability to look at this and say, well, you know what? Two businesses, both of which are in the business of making money, both actually had the exact same response to a very similar crisis, except the NBA was actually more aggressive in punishing a player than the NFL was. Colin Kaepernick was given greater freedom to make his political statements in the NFL in 2015 than Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf was given to make his political statements in 1996, both directly connected to the national anthem. And yet, I bet I'm the first person who is actually, you've heard, make that connection between the two or point out that while Steve Kerr is out here ripping the NFL's policy, the NBA's policy is actually more difficult when it comes to political statements during the course of the national anthem. I also want to read you this quote, and I read it to you yesterday, and I think it's a good one. Um, this was in uh, an article about uh, about Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf uh, from the New York Times. The uh, NBA Players, uh, NBA PA, the NBA Players Association head is was asked uh, why there was no kneeling going on in the NBA. Why haven't players done the same thing as happened in the NFL? And I think this is true. The uh, Her name is Michelle Roberts. She said uh, they, meaning the NBA players, don't need to take a knee when they can communicate their messages on their own. LeBron James, all he has to do is tweet and everybody knows exactly how he feels. That's right. If you're on social media... It's never been easier to express your opinion, whatever it is. The idea that you need to use your time in uniform while being employed to make that statement is, I think, laughably absurd. If you're eloquent, you can go on social media and make the case. You can then go on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. You can do your own broadcast on Periscope or Facebook Live now. You can distribute your own content, video and audio, to the masses. I've got over 100,000 people a day on average watching my afternoon Periscope and Facebook shows. Go look at them. I pin them at the top of my Twitter feeds. 50,000 people or something watched yesterday. Hundreds of thousands have watched that video this week. And that's just me. I don't have 50 million Twitter followers or whatever the heck uh, LeBron James has. I don't have a ton of people. I don't even have an Instagram account. You've never had an easier time to get your message out, whatever that message might be, than you do right now. But ask yourself this. Why have so few people in the media actually looked at the NBA and the NFL anthem policies and pointed out that when faced with controversy, both leagues did almost the exact same thing? Because connecting a protest to the national anthem is bad for league business it's not going to be allowed in either the NBA or the NFL. And if it happened in Major League Baseball or it happened in the NHL, I guarantee you they would have the same response. You may not like it, but ultimately the color that matters the most in this country is green. And if you start to take some of the green away from the leagues, they're going to respond. NBA faced the exact same situation 20 years ago. They did even more aggressively in their restriction on what Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf was able to say compared to Colin Kaepernick and other NFL players.
Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.